seems like there were several who were sick this morning um, that we just want to mention and keep in mind for prayer. Um, I think the ones that I'm aware of would be Michelle uh, Elijah. Actually, she's caring for Zach, Zachariah, who had a double ear infection, so be in prayer for him and their family. Uh, Jeremy wasn't feeling well as he left um, this morning as well. Um, Bonnie, I think, is, is a bit under the weather, flu-type symptoms. All right. Um, anybody else that, that is in our midst and not feeling well? And Savannah, we mentioned this morning in prayer, it's good to mention again, um, Willie and, and Mickey's granddaughter with um, trouble breathing and asthma had to go to emergency care this morning. So keep her in prayer. She's recovering, doing much better, I understand. So that, that's good under, under those breathing treatments. Anybody else? All right, so throughout the week, you can keep them in mind uh, for prayer. Our anniversary is coming up. Our anniversary speaker um, is going to be Pastor George Richardson, and so we ask you to uh, pray for that. We're looking forward to our anniversary service on March 17th. Uh, we're planning a, uh, a service in the morning, a meal afterwards, and then some um, remembering and recognition during that meal, so that will complete our day. Um, we so You'll hear more about that as we as we get closer to it and, and uh, those who are responsible for planning um, the preparation for that might be in contact with you for help for that. <coughs> I mentioned the announcement this morning about Aaron and Megan and one of the things that it allows us to do then is to pray openly about it and that's something that we want to do and we want you to continue to do. Um, it's not that it was a secret um, before I think words slowly um, was kind of leaked out in, in a sense. I know our leadership team didn't hear about the uh, actual um, change that was going on until quite late in the process. And that's why we decided to meet with them. But why don't you just continue to pray for, for them. And I'm glad that, that now that that's spoken out in the open that we can pray and we can pray uh, publicly about that. Um, then tonight what I want to do is look at some questions that were uh, given to me in the question and answer box, on the question box, and I'm going to um, go over some of those and uh, allow you to participate with me in discussion over some of those questions. <coughs> I might only get to one, I don't know, we'll see how, how long it, it takes. The first question seems to be a simple question, I think it's a quite common question, but it's not easy to answer. Um, and so the first question is simply, do babies go to heaven? Do babies go to heaven? Um, I think that's a, a, it's not a trivial question. It's, it's an important issue, especially for, for parents and loved ones who have uh, infants or children that may die, pass away, we, we wonder what their future is. What, what, is um, what are they to look forward to in the future? When we look at those questions, we want to see what does the Bible say concerning that. And so um, we want to we stick to the realm of what, does, what, does God, what is God's counsel concerning that. His counsel comes from the Word of God. <laughs> Before I answer that question, 
I want to just just mention a few things that go along with any Bible questions. Since I wrote it down, I'll read it as I wrote it. There are many unanswered questions to life. God does not reveal all truth, even in the Bible. There are many things we may never know, and yet God reveals himself in the Bible so that we might know and have a relationship with him. For what is knowable, we consult God through his word, and we accept and we trust what he says in his word. For the unknown and unknowable, again, we trust God. Ultimately, we walk by faith and not by sight. And that's 2 Corinthians 5, 7, it gives that reference. So when we talk about this question, um, do babies go to heaven? Um, I want to look at a couple references because one of the references that kind of just stood out to me about this topic is in Matthew chapter 18. <coughs> Matthew chapter 18. verses 1 through 4 to start off with and then we'll look at verse 10. At that time the disciples came to Jesus saying who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child he put him in the midst of them and said truly I say to you unless you turn and become like children you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So the question starts off about who's greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and Jesus uses a child to illustrate a truth, and then he goes on with several references to that. For instance, in verse 5, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great, mile, great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Then let's skip down to verse 10. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Okay, it's, it's kind of unfair at the way I'm presenting it to you because I'm actually going to backtrack on what common thought may be. When I read it to you, it may sound like he's talking about children. In reality, he's not talking about children at all. He's talking about a childlike faith. But going back to verse 1, he says, <clears throat> verse 2, Calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Become like children. Jesus is talking about having a childlike faith, having a childlike trust in God. And so in that way, being uh, being like a child. And in fact, as we read through it, the term little ones, he uses that um, verse 5. It's actually used in verse 6, but let me start at verse 5. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. One such child. What What is he saying? He's not talking about a child at all. He's talking about a disciple of Christ who has childlike faith. 
Again, in verse 6, he says this, whoever causes one of these little ones, and then he describes them, who believes in me. So he's not talking about a little child or infant, certainly. He's talking about a one who believes in Christ of any age. And um, so one who has faith in Christ. Um, So this passage is not talking about babies or even children, but about disciples of Christ who have childlike faith. Several things this passage is, is teaching, and I wanted to, to break this down because I think we easily take passages like this and then translate that into something about children having faith. And that's not what he's talking about, little children having faith. He's talking about adults having faith like little children naturally have when they trust their parents, when they are dependent on someone to give them everything they need, and yet they live under that dependency. We have that kind of faith in God. We live under his dependency. Jesus taught us how to pray, give me this day my daily bread. We are children. He is our father. We are to trust him in that way. That's what he's talking about here. And in talking about that, he teaches us a couple things. Um, this passage teaches, first of all, to enter the kingdom of, enter the kingdom of heaven. To enter the kingdom, we must humble ourselves like children. That's the first thing he's teaching. That's why he brought a child in there because disciples had a problem with pride and, and promotion, and they said, "I want to be greatest." So he brought a child in there and says, "Hey, you really need to be like a child to even come into the kingdom, let alone be greatest in the kingdom. Just to get in, you've got to be humble." He's saying, and they weren't humble at all. They were saying, I'm the greatest. I'm the greatest. <laughs> Early, I don't know if this week or the week before, people were getting on LeBron James because he's saying he's the GOAT. You know what the GOAT means, right? Greatest of all time. He's saying, I'm the GOAT, man. I'm the GOAT. I'm the greatest of all time. People were getting on him. You know, old school people like me still remember. Uh, you know, <laughs> we still remember Michael Jordan and, 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 and kind of regard him as that. Super Bowl's coming up on Sunday, and they're talking about uh, Tom Brady as the GOAT, the greatest of all time, and they're debating that. Uh, so the disciples are really talking to Jesus, saying, I'm the GOAT. Don't you think? Don't you think so? That's what they're saying to Jesus. Um, who do you think is the greatest of all time, Jesus? And he said, are you kidding me? <laughs> he says, you, what it takes to just get in the kingdom is the humility that you obviously aren't displaying right now. And so that you need to be like a child. And that's what he's using to talk. And he continues that language using the term little ones. So in verse 5, whoever receives one such child, in other words, a disciple of me, in my name. So the first thing he teaches is to enter the kingdom, you must be humble. Uh, we must humble ourselves like child, children. The second thing he teaches is this main truth, and that is, that Christ himself identifies with his disciples. And he teaches that in several ways. Um, he teaches that he identifies with his disciples, first of all, by saying, those who receive a disciple of his receive him. So he says that. Verse 5, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Again, he's not talking about little children. He's talking about those who, who receive, those who follow me are receiving me. Remember that, that, that parable, uh, where is it, Matthew 25, um, when, when he's talking about, when did we do these things to you? 
uh, king, and the, and the king says, "In as much as you've done it to 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 the least of these my servants, you've done it to me." Um, so he identifies with those who are his, and again, that's not children. It's 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 those who follow, who believe, who trust in Christ. All right. Um, so that's what he's teaching in verse 5. In verse 6, he says, those who mistreat a disciple of Christ will be condemned. Look at verse 6. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me, again, that, that explanation, who believe in me, he's not talking about little children, but he's talking about those who are little like in faith uh, or childlike in their faith and trust in God, who believe in me, whoever caused one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be, it would be better for him to have a great, Millstone fast around his neck and be drowned in the depth of the sea. Um, he, get, he teaches that again in verse 10. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. Again, one of these, one of these ones who trust in me. Don't mistreat them. Why? He says this, For I tell you that in heaven their angels always seek the face of my Father who is in heaven. So he's teaching that he identifies with those who are his disciples, who trust in him, and he protects them. The angels are sent to protect those who believe in Christ. Doesn't Hebrews 1.14 teach us that as well? You can turn there. Hebrews 1.14. It says, are, not, are they not all ministering spirits, he's speaking of the angels, sent out to serve for the sake of those who are, are to inherit salvation? The writer in Hebrews saying, that's what angels are. They're sent to serve to protect, to serve those who, um, who are saved. And uh, so again, this, this passage teaches that same thing. Okay, so that's the first part of answering this question, do babies go to heaven? You say, when am, when am I gonna get to a point, right? I'm, I'm getting there. <laughs> Here we go. We understand that Christ is the only way to heaven and trusting is in Christ is the only way that we can get to the Father and get to heaven. Um, by faith in Christ and in Christ alone, we're saved. There's no other way. Um, the real question is, what about those who aren't able or don't have the cognitive ability to trust in Christ? That is a legitimate question, and that's where children and babies come in. What about those who aren't able, don't have a cognitive ability to trust in Christ? Real, really, we're asking, what happens to them? We, um, and, and to answer that question, I, I kind of ask, who does the Bible um, hold accountable for or responsible for their sin? It is clear that all have sinned from the scripture, um, and that sin, we are sinners from day one, from, from our birth, that is clear. The real question comes in, are we accountable, at what point are we accountable before God for that sin, okay? Um, what about a person who, uh, because of a physical, mental disability, has the understanding of a child and, and cannot really understand deep enough things. What, what does God do with that kind of a person? What does God do with a baby infant that's only two days old that, that lives two days and dies? That, that's really the question that we're asking 
what happens with those who don't have that cognitive ability to, to respond to God in faith and to trust in Christ. Um, bottom line answer is, what does the Bible say about that? Or does the Bible speak to that at all? I would say I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't have a definitive idea of what, how God is handling those situations. He doesn't make it extremely clear in his word. And, and he, he, he doesn't, he, he leaves that as one of those things that we do not clearly understand. I do not know at what point God makes a person responsible for their sin. I trusted in Christ when I was seven years old. I don't know if I had died at six, if I'd have been accountable for my sin before God or not. And that may very well be different for different ages and different developments. There may be a person who is 40 years old and has the cognitive ability of a five-year-old. I don't, I don't know those answers. That's a long way of saying I don't know, isn't it? But we first search God's word. What does he say about this? We know there is no other way of being uh, uh, cleared of our sin other than trusting Christ. But we know that, and I can go, I was going to go through Romans, but I don't want to bore you with all those details. Romans shows us that God holds accountable several classes of, in, uh, of individuals. Romans 1 um, talks about those who are exposed to God's uh, um, um, natural revelation. Those who view creation and God is showing himself through creation, he holds those accountable who see that. And he says they see what God has created and yet they do not recognize God who's behind that and that's because of their sin. He holds them accountable for that. He holds them accountable for, for those who know his special revelation. Some things written of his word, and yet they disregard that. He holds them accountable for that. Um, Romans shows that all have sinned, but it also says that God is holding them accountable who are able to uh, uh, um, um, have a cognitive level of where they dismiss the revelation that's been given to them and don't trust in Christ. I don't know what happens to those who don't have that cognitive level to respond to revelation that's given to them. Questions, comments? <laughs> that was frustrating. You know why it's frustrating? Is we want the easy answer. We want the easy answer, and we don't like that God has left some things unanswered. And God says... Yes, that's important, and I understand why that may be important, but I don't tell you everything. There's many things that are important to me that I don't know and may never know. I don't know right now if I have a disease I may learn about tomorrow that will end my life next week. I don't know that right now. I don't know when I'm going to die or whether I'm going to die. I don't know that. I don't know how long I'm going to live and what, under what circumstances. We have, we have people who are trying to plan, you know, retirement and say, based on this table and these factors, you're in this age group, you're going to live X amount. Of, you don't know that. You're just guessing. 
you don't know. Is that important? How long I'm going to live? How well I'm going to be? Yeah. I may spend sleepless nights wondering about that. But God is basically saying, for the things you do not know and cannot know, you trust me. For the things I speak to you about in my word, you search that and you, you get answers from me. Not anybody else, but from me. But there's many things I won't tell you about. I don't tell you when Christ is going to return. I don't tell you what future trials you're going to go through. There's a lot that's happening with me that I don't know about. That's why I trust God. And so those of us who trust God, we don't shake our fists and say, God, you don't tell me this, and I don't know, and I really want to know. We say, no, God, I trust you in things that are knowable and the things that are unknowable. So what advice would I give to a parent who's, who's wrestling with that is to know that God is a gracious and a good God, that he pursued us when we weren't pursuing him. And even though I don't know all of his plan and all that he is, is, is going to do, I can trust him with the things that I don't know. Question, yes. We have a responsibility as parents to, to teach um, and, and certainly God's going to hold us accountable for that. He wants that to happen. Um, and I guess we're dealing with that other question of at what point, as I teach them, at what point is God holding them accountable? I don't know. And I think it very well, I'm pretty sure, in fact, it's going to be different for different individuals based on, on their development and, and the level that they're at. Any other comments or questions with that? But Bill? Uh, what we try to do, first of all, we naturally seek out for what comforts us. What we have to, the caution that we have is make sure that that's based on not just how I want things to be, but on what God's word actually says. And so we're, we're, we're doing that. I think what we can do, and God shows us that we find comfort in him, we find comfort in his character, who he is. Um, and I can't go any farther than that. I rest in that. I can't go any farther than that. But it is a comfort knowing the more I know about God, the more I see how he has dealt with me, the more I see how he has dealt with mankind in general, the more I see how his specific plan has been to target out sinners and to provide a salvation through his son for them and to bring them through that. Um, I see his gracious nature and, and I, know, um, I know things are well in his hands and I can actually trust that. Another question, comment? Mm-hmm. That's the problem with, with um, reaching in Scripture. Um, we, we need to stay to what Scripture says um, and be sure of that. Now, one thing Scripture makes clear, and like I said, I was going to walk through Romans, that God holds accountable um, a wide group of people who are able to see what he has done is in his creation. And even those who haven't 
heard his word. Let, let me just give you an example of, of that. Romans chapter, um, Romans chapter 2, verse 12. Let's take a look at that. Romans 2, verse 12. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. He's using two, two groups of people. By the law, he's talking about his word, and he's talking about the, the Jewish, the, the nation of Israel um, who have received the law from God, heard his word, um, and he said they're accountable for that. But he takes it even farther than that. Not just those who have heard the word. He said there's a whole group of people who never heard the word that God still holds accountable, and here's why. He says, this is what he says in Romans 2, um, verse 14. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even accuse them. He's saying there's a whole group of people who may not have heard anything from God's law, they're going to be held accountable because they know what's right because God has given them a witness inside of what's right and wrong, and he calls that their conscience. They're going to be held accountable because of that. So there's these, these groups of people who know, know because they heard what God said, specifically in his word, what's right and wrong. And there's another group of people who haven't even heard it, but they still know, and God holds accountable. The question that I'm giving with children is, Here's a group. At what point does God hold accountable a group of people who aren't able to make, uh, um, uh, make cognitive, uh, have any kind of a cognitive thought to put faith in God? So that question isn't answered in Romans. And so I leave that gray area to God, and I'm comfortable doing that. I can rest at night doing that. Parents, I believe, can rest at night doing that, knowing God's character and God's nature. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. If we argue scripture, is he a sinner at too much? Yes. But is he accountable? Scripture doesn't, doesn't clearly answer that for me. All right. Any, any other questions that I can say I don't know to in a long, in a long discourse? I do feel for Donna, she tells me. You know, that's just frustrating. <laughs> you didn't really give an answer. Um, <laughs> you have a question? Yes, comment. That's where we need to be careful. Brian did a, 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 a talk on a baptism uh, this morning. Very good, very appropriate. We can't reach and stretch scripture to, to make us comfortable with something. And that's what we have to be very careful about. Um, to talk about the person, and that's what I meant by not having a cognitive ability. Uh, there are individuals like that, um, and they fit in that category, not having that cognitive ability. It doesn't fit someone who um, had a cognitive ability and then lost it. You know, maybe had a... Uh, auto accident no longer can function but at some point they had it um, they're held accountable so that's 
Those are just some of the life issues that, that we have to, to wrestle with. And my point in this is as we wrestle with them, we don't twist scripture to match our situation. We, we accept what God has to say, even if he says very little on that situation. We trust him in that. Okay, I have a couple other questions, but I don't have time to, 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 to start those, so I'll, I'll leave those for our next time. Um, any last comments or questions before we, before we close? We do have some time if you do have a comment or question. Yes. This is a question of, of presenting the gospel, really. And it's one of those things where as much as we don't want the gospel to offend, it naturally does because it goes against human thinking. And so your situation of the child or the coworker who has the child and your situation of dealing with people who maybe even be dealing with grief but, but, but have a child, um, when God's word is plain and true, um, then, yeah, we wrestle with how to present it in, in, in a way that can get their attention and not just slap them in the face, we, we, we must wrestle with that. But the truth does challenge wrong thinking. And people for comfort level latch on to baptism, they latch on to church membership, they latch on to my parents' heritage, I was raised this way and so my child is gonna be this, blah, 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 blah. And, and the, the gospel knocks those blocks away from under people's support and leaves them unsupported so that they might cling on to Christ. And we, I think we can, at the same time, we knock those blocks out. Um, the same time we're taking that support from under them, we are presenting the very foundation they can actually stand on. So I think that's what we present the gospel. Say, so you know what? That's kind of flimsy. If, if I'm thinking of my eternal, eternal state of my loved one, based on baptism, and they might not ever go to church again. But let me tell you what you can base that on, and, that, and that's where the gospel. So the gospel does knock the blocks off, but it gives a more sure foundation. And so we, we need to uh, um, just learn how to present that in ways or take up that challenge in presenting the gospel because it's the one thing that people ought to trust in. Any other comments, questions before we before we close? That, that is so true. When I talk about these situations, we really talk about extreme and remote situations. But we live in Milwaukee, and most people, first of all, have a cognitive ability that we talk to. That's why we're talking to them. Um, they also. Um, in, in so many cases have heard the gospel, heard enough of the, the pure word of God. Do they understand it? No, but they've heard it and they're accountable in so many ways. And so they make a class. Some people just like to argue. They make a class or a case for some extreme situation that doesn't really, that they don't fit in. All right. Any other qu comments or questions? wonder um, no wonder they do that because if there is no God who created there's nobody to be accountable to 
And I think they recognize that, and, and that, that takes them off the hook. So uh, we need to put them back on the hook and, and show them that, no, you're accountable, you're responsible, and uh, the way you're headed doesn't look good, but let me, I have good news for you as well, and that you can trust in Christ. All right. Did you have a question, uh, Naomi? That's a good question. I think I've talked to you about that a little bit. Um, we want to be sure that those who trust in Christ actually are living that way and desire to live that way and not just living that way because they're at home right now, but they actually love God and want to live in obedience to God, not just because mom and dad say so, but because it's in their heart. And so... Um, I recognize when I was your age, I trusted in Christ, and I understood what that meant. Um, I didn't get baptized then yet, and I waited till I was an adult to get baptized, and um, there's reasons for that. I, I don't think that everybody necessarily has to wait that long, um, but there were good reasons to make sure that my faith was, was real and, and not just based on me being at home. No, not necessarily, but you are going to wait a little bit so we can see that this is real. It's not, just, it's not just where you are right now, but it's where you're going to be the rest of your life. All right. I better close. These questions are getting tough. <laughs> they get tougher the longer we go. <laughs> How old was her daughter? Okay, she's an adult. Okay, yeah. But you're right. We struggle. All of us struggle with, with God's sovereignty. Even as believers, we say, well, if, if God has the means and the resources, why am I sick? Why do I have this bill I can't pay? Um, why is this person mad at me? Um, in all of our situations, but it comes to, to, to trust in not only God's sovereignty, this is where we differ as believers from the world. We trust his sovereignty and his goodness towards us. Satan knows God is sovereign, but it ain't changing his fate any. Um, so he doesn't find comfort in God's sovereignty. We actually find comfort in knowing that we belong to him. So he's our heavenly father. Those who don't trust in that way it's impossible for them to, to really open and, and recognize that. We trust him as a father. <laughs> he's proven himself to us, and he's shown that to us in his word. We invite that person to share in that experience. Come and get to know God. He wants to show you his, his goodness, and we, we hold that out to them. doesn't mean everything in your life is going to go well and, and great, but, you know, that's what Romans 8.28 speaks about. We we know all things work together for the good, and, and that's where we're trusting in his sovereignty for our good, even if things look kind of tangled up and messy and even painful right now. We're trusting in him. Yeah, that's a struggle. Um, we all battle um, wrestling with God's sovereignty. <clears throat> all right, let's close in a, in a time of prayer. Father, we thank you for this time together. We wrestle with concepts and your word.
Um, we wrestle with not knowing things that are important to us. Um, we wrestle with a lot of things. So we pray that we would learn to trust you in all of this. Trust the truth of your word and trust even the things that your word may not be specific about. We know your character and we trust you. Help us in that. In Jesus' name, amen.